And we're off and running. Okay, so this week, this is it. This is the, uh, the conclusion of our study on the book of Ephesians for the last time. I'm going to remind you uh, just a bit of what we got here in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians was a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, and he wrote this letter while he was imprisoned. Uh, this is one of the prison epistles, and he says, uh, this, this sends this letter of an, an encouragement, as an encouragement to the church. In a manner of speaking, he was saying, this, this is what the church should look like. This is what a godly church should look like. So let's turn to uh, I'll put it up here. You can follow along there. And, and we're going to start reading in verse 10. This is what we uh, talked about last week. I'm going to recap a little bit of verses 10 through 12. Uh, and then we're going to go on beyond that and talk about the armor of God. Uh, but this is what it says leading into it. Because again, we, we use the armor of God, but this is what we're using it against. Uh, and again, we, we, I posted that uh, uh, um, lesson last week online. So if you want to uh, catch up on that, I'd be glad to send you the link. But finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So do you remember what we talked about last week? We, we opened up with a discussion about spiritual warfare and the reality of what it is. Uh, and we talked about what your understanding of that is based on what we read here. And what we ended up saying, I, I hope we, could, we were able to mutually conclude, is that we have to acknowledge that it exists. It is something. It is something sometimes that we like to tuck away uh, in our intellectual minds and, and because we can't wrap our head around what that is or, or what it is, but we have to acknowledge that there is a spiritual realm that exists in parallel with what we see and what we hear and touch and, and life as we know it. However, when we think of spiritual warfare, uh, we tend to say, okay, we either over over-spiritualize or under-spiritualize. We tend to say, okay, it's only, it's only about demons. It's only about people's heads that are spinning around and, and, uh, and, uh, and those, those sorts of things, or exorcisms. But generally speaking, that's probably not the kind of spiritual warfare that you will ever encounter in your life. But you will encounter spiritual warfare. You will. And it's more subtle. It's more subtle than we, what we tend to think of it. Remember in the last three chapters, so the last three chapters of Ephesians, it's, and Paul's being very, very down to earth here, very practical. Uh, the kind of spiritual warfare, what he's telling us, is that you'll engage in today, tomorrow, and every day comes in the form of, remember what was one of the central principles we said, spiritual warfare, the work of the devil, primarily manifests itself in, do you remember? Lies. Lies and deceit. That's the primary way, that's the primary work of the devil. It's his primary MO. Lies are the work that he majors in. He's a liar and he loves to tell you and feed you lies based on those lies. And then we, we then react and make decisions to those, those, those lies that we hear. And we often do stupid things because of the lies that we hear. We sin based on the lies that we choose to believe. When you get down to brass tacks, that's almost, that's almost sin every single time. Choosing to believe a lie uh, and, and then reacting based upon that non-truth. Okay, that's exactly what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He didn't possess them. The devil didn't possess Adam and Eve. He didn't make their heads spin around or vomit everywhere or anything like that. He lied to them. He seduced them through lies. Did God actually say you're not to eat of any tree in the garden? And then, of course, he told the lie, you will not die. You won't die. 
And based on that, that's how Adam and Eve made their decisions to go forward, right? You can do whatever you want. There's no penalty. You can commit treason against your creator and not face the consequences. You can disregard the word of God and do as you please with no repercussion. These are the lies the devil tells, right? Every single time. That's what he uses. 99 times out of 100, that's the type of spiritual warfare you're going to engage in. Discerning and, and separating yourself from the lies that the devil tells. Okay, last week... I told you about a metaphor that a guy by the name of John White used in describing how the devil works and lies to you. One of the most haunting mental images uh, that made such an impression on me. Uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, let me share it. He says that if you take the lid of a piano, which we have one back there, you can't say. If you take that lid and you raise it up uh, and you sing a note, oh, that's, uh, the devil also works through wasps. Get it? You got it? And listen, he just crushed the head of the wasp. This is, <laughs> we are seeing the gospel played out. There's some interpretive, you know, wasp or serpent. But anyway, take, back to the piano. Take the lid of the piano, lift it up, sing a note into the piano. Do you know that the string in that piano will reverberate to whatever note you're singing? Whatever note you choose, that string will vibrate just by singing the note in the piano. And that's what the devil does. That's how the devil works. The devil plays on what's already in you. He sings to an insecurity. He sings to something that maybe you, you, uh, you, aren't, you aren't steady on, something you're already attuned to, all right? For example, spiritual warfare occurs maybe on a daily basis for some of you in the context of worry or anxiousness, okay? And if, and if worry or anxiousness is something that you struggle with, guess which note the devil's going to sing to? Guess which, which weakness he's going to play to, all right? Um, anxiousness, for instance, when, is when you get to start thinking something along the lines, that this, this has got to happen. This has just got to happen. If, if it's, this doesn't happen, if A, B, and C don't happen, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. You have to stop and remind yourself and tell God, Lord, I realize that my worry is nothing more than pride. My worry is nothing more than pride. Did you know that? Worry is basically us saying, I know exactly how the day ought to go. I know how it ought to go. And God may not get it right. And if it doesn't go right, I know better. I know better. Right? That's Satan singing to the strings in your heart. You're smart. You've got this figured out. You know, you've looked at it from every angle, and, and it's got to go like this, and if it doesn't, it means utter failure, right? It has to work like this. See that? So, so you're left to worry that things aren't working out on how you'd like for them to work out, how they ought to work out. So you stop and tell the Lord, sorry, Lord, only you know what's best. Only you know what's best. That's overcoming a In that moment, you're overcoming your spiritual, that's spiritual warfare. That it's more along the lines of what you're going to face day in and day out in terms of okay? It's being able to listen to your heart and realizing the notes that Satan is trying to play and not allowing him to leverage those thoughts in your heart. Right? That's spiritual warfare. Does that make sense? Again, he does this all the time. It's, and it's so subtle. We often think that the... There's another one. All right. Uh, I'm going to assign someone to keep an eye on that. Hey, it's coming right over here. This is going to be a problem, isn't it? Look at this. Oh, my word. He's right here. Right there. <laughs> the audio this week is going to be really entertaining on this. In this. That was impressive. Weren't, 
afraid? <laughs> Weren't you afraid he was going to stink? Smacked him? No? Okay. Fearless. All right. All right. Does that make sense? You following with me so far? If there's one more wasp in here, we're dismissing early. All right. So Paul is about to tell us now how we fight against this. All right. Let's read the section. This is how we fight. This is Ephesians 6, 13 and following. How do you fight spiritual warfare? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith uh, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So how do we fight against the devil's lies and all of his schemes with the armor of God? And I have to tell you for the longest time, this was such a nebulous idea for me. When someone would tell me to put on the armor of God, to put on my helmet of salvation, for instance, I'd say, okay, how do I do that? <laughs> how do I put on the helmet of salvation? And partly what I was confused by was, for instance, I'd say, well, I'm already saved, so I guess I already have my helmet of salvation on. I mean, Paul knows that he's talking to the church. These are Shouldn't they already have the helmet of salvation on? Why is he telling them again, put on your helmet of salvation? And, and how do I put on a breastplate of righteousness? That, does that mean I have to what Paul is telling me to do? This is why it's so important to understand context. Remember, Paul has been listing not for us a new set of commandments, you know, these chapters of, of Israel. This is all behavior that will mark us in light of what Christ has done. Remember, we keep talking about the indicative and the imperative. Based on what Christ has done, now therefore, go do this in his power. All right, that's what this whole book of, you can divide it almost right down the middle, the first three chapters, second three chapters. This is who you are. This is everything that's been accomplished for you in, 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 uh, in Christ. Now, therefore, in light of that, go do this. Go do these things. You are Christ's body. So how do I show you again? This is really practical stuff. We can put these into three groups. Okay, these are the, the ones that, that Paul lists here. Very practical here. We have belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, so uh, sword of the spirit, praying at all times. Belt of truth is one category. Then I would put one, two, three, four, those into another category. And then the last two into a, a final category. Let me break them down for you here. Okay, it seems that there are three of categories. Let's first look at the belt of truth, okay? In our translation, when you think of a belt, right? It's not necessarily a great word uh, in terms of translation. Uh, the belt of truth is in a category all its own. Uh, it's sort of the foundation for the rest. Foundational principle here, okay? So the belt of truth in our translation, uh, as it's being described here, um, when you think of a belt, we think of sort of this narrowish piece of leather that we wrap around the waist, but that doesn't quite describe what soldiers in antiquity would have been wearing. The Greek word here, they're actually not a one-for-one -one translation of the word belt. 
the word is telling to ready, ready yourselves. Ready oneself is what it's telling you to do, to gird yourself, to prepare yourself. And that refers to a wrapping of a leather sheath used in battle. It was a thick piece of clothing that was really more like an apron. It really more looked like an apron, but an a- apron doesn't quite describe it either because it was a, a thick piece of material that went underneath the rest of your armor. It was like adding an extra layer of tough skin. It was the foundation for your armor. Okay, and so what Paul is saying here in this metaphor is that he talks about specific privileges that we have in Christ. And again, even armor doesn't quite do it because when you think of a soldier going off to battle, (laughs) you don't want your soldiers going off in aprons, you know, (laughs) off into battle. But again, it's that extra layer of protection. And so he's saying the foundation, this is your foundation, he's saying. This is the foundation of, uh, of who you are. So you learn to do what Colossians 3.16 says. Oh, this is the belt of truth. Let the word of Christ, this, this is what the foundational element is, okay? This is the belt of truth. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Bring these things into your heart. Know them, not just in your head, but know them like their second nature. Let them be instinctive and reflexive. Putting on your armor, number one, above everything else, is learning to take the truth and working it into the center of your being so that it becomes your default disposition and reaction to whatever you face. That is your foundation. You know, he knows he's talking to Christians to know it so that it sinks into the core of your being. That's something all of us struggle with from time to time. How many times do we have to, to, to remind ourselves of the gospel? You know, we know the gospel. Every one of us could probably articulate the gospel to some degree, but how often do we forget the gospel? We always forget it. We always forget it, and we always then go try and... And, and it's not like, oh, what, what did Jesus do? Okay, I know he died for my sins, but then what we, we, we start doing, the part that we forget is, is we go back to trying to do everything under our own power. And again, over and over, the gospel tells us, no, it's not your power. All right? And this forms quite the exclamation point to everything else he's told us in Ephesians. Again, these aren't new commandments. These, are, these aren't a new list of things to do. This is who you are. This is now part of your nature. And, and it's one thing for you to know it in your head, but again, it's another thing for it to permeate it to, to your inner being so that it's a part of you. It's a natural part of you. It's instinctive. This is the truth that now exists in you. This is not you figuring out how to put truth on. This is Christ in you. What did Christ call himself in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know that one. This is not, uh, this is, this is, um, this is, don't, I want you to think of this as you putting on some sort of armor. I want you to think of this as putting on Christ. You're putting on Christ, okay? And here's the thing, I'm willing to bet that Paul wasn't just sitting around thinking, uh, what can I liken this to? I, I got it, a Roman soldier, how about that? No, all, every, very aware that Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. So it shouldn't surprise us that in Isaiah eleven five we read, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins, okay? Paul is, is taking Old Testament ideas and themes like the belt of righteousness and faith that we read about in Isaiah, that's why I put the belt in this category of its own. 
as, as if it were a heading for the next several pieces of armor. The truth, the foundation, that apron that, that everything else rests upon, this is what you begin with. Got to begin with this. Does that make sense? That's your foundational piece. Knowing the truth, not just knowing, but then allow it to permeate inside your heart so you believe it and know it and understand it. We forget it all the time, okay? Make sense? Any comments, thoughts, questions? Belt of truth? All right, so we have the belt of, or the apron of truth. Then what do we have? Then we need a breastplate. Same thing here. Breastplate of righteousness. Anyone want to take a guess what we mean? What, what would you think breastplate of righteousness means? What are we talking about here? Is it being righteous? Remember, I just told you, put on Christ. So what, is, what do you think breastplate of righteousness is referring to? Whose righteousness are we putting on? There you go. Yeah, and again, this, that's why it's, this has got to be second nature to you. It's got to, every, everything, it's not my power. It's not what I do. It's the righteousness of Christ. I'm draped in the righteousness of Christ. Paul is taking, again, Old Testament cues, uh, likening the belt of truth, the belt of righteousness and faith that we read about in Isaiah, uh, and, he, and he's making these new, these sort of these categories, bringing them forward to the New Testament. So you, you can take, back to the breastplate here, uh, you can hobble off the battlefield with uh, um, a wound, right? But you can't take, say, an arrow to the chest. You take an arrow to the chest, that's going to be, that's going to be fatal. Uh, you can take an arrow to the leg, the shoulder, but you can't take one to the tr- chest. The piece of armor, this piece of armor, the breastplate, is essential for remembering who you are in Christ. When Satan accuses you of something in your past that you can't seem to forget, what you need to remind him of, what is the song your heart needs to sing? Your heart needs to be reminded, and you need to remind Satan, that righteousness is not your righteousness. You do not stand before God in your righteousness. You stand before God in Christ's righteousness. So when Satan accuses you of something and causes you and, and, and tells you that you're, you're not adequate, you say to him, you're exactly right. But I don't stand in my own righteousness. I stand in the righteousness of Christ. It wasn't so long ago. This is how I would illustrate this. Uh, I attended a funeral of the father of a friend of mine and quite understandably, they were speaking about what a great person he was and how he loved the Lord and, and it showed and, and, and how right now standing in heaven, hearing the master say, well, done, faithful servant, okay? Well, done, faithful servant, 100% true, all right? What a day that will be. But we have to understand this. When the master looks at any one of us, if you long to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, servant it won't be because he took a survey over your life and saw that you did mostly more good than, than bad, and therefore you get the exclamation, well done, good and faithful servant. He says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, because why? Because you're wearing the righteousness of Christ. On that basis, on that basis alone, he tells you, well done, good and faithful servant. See that? Okay? Regardless of your past. This is what I was just teaching the, the, the youth this last, uh, this last Wednesday. Regardless of your past, whatever it is Satan is trying to remind you of, you are now presentable and nothing in the world will ever ever change that once you believe in christ once you wear his righteousness you can't improve upon that and you will never have a better status than you have right now you are wearing Christ's righteousness nothing in the world will ever change that the lie the devil will try and tell you is that you're not good enough you're not good enough someone who thinks like that or does something like that couldn't possibly be a christian 
That's the lie. That's the string he sings to your heart. What you need to remember is what you need to recall is that you stand before God, not based on your righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ, and it doesn't get any better than that. That's the, that's the truth you repeat back to that lie. Got it? Please don't forget that one. If you forget anything else, don't forget that one. Remember that one for the rest of your life, okay? You stand in the right, with the righteousness of Christ. The shoes of the gospel of peace. I, I love a good shoe. Uh, by the time you get old, you're like, you know, there's so many things I can't control. I can control how comfortable my feet feel. <laughs> I'm not going to skimp on the shoes or a mattress, though, you know, gosh, we, we were long overdue for that. You spend most of your life on your feet or in a mattress. Don't skimp on those things, right? What Paul taught, when Paul's talking about the, 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 the sandals, okay, when Paul is talking about here is more reference to stability. What, what gives us stability? What makes us battle ready? We're, are we sure-footed and ready? You know, our readiness comes from the message of the gospel and puts us in a position to carry that message forward and pass it along. Now, here's what's interesting about what Paul says here, the gospel of peace. Uh, first, let me tell you the lie that Satan will tell you. Maybe you've heard this one. Maybe he's sung this note to a heart string. God is mad at you. God is punishing you. You did something and now you're living with the permanent punishment from God. The consequences of your sin is God punishing you for your actions. Have you thought that? I have. I have. That's a lie. That's a lie. God was finished. Please hear me on this one. I told you not to forget the last one. This one. I don't I want you to forget this one. This is the one I don't want you to forget. God was finished with punishment against you when he poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ on his cross. Then he was, when he said it is finished, punishment was done. If you believe in Jesus, your punishment is over, okay? So you're not being punished. Yes, we sometimes live with the effects of sin, but even when we live with the effects of something that we've done, even that is used to sanctify us, to grow us, to make us more like Christ. Nothing is wasted. So the word gospel, all right, has to take on a meaning of its own. When we hear the word gospel, we think of the story of Jesus. We think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But remember when Paul wrote this letter and he uses the word gospel, he wasn't thinking of, ah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When he wrote this, those weren't even assembled as, a, as the gospels yet as in the New Testament. He was using the word in the literal sense, the Greek word euangelion, which means, do you know? What, is, what does gospel mean? The word gospel. Good news. It means good news. So he's literally saying here, when he was referring to the gospel of peace, he's literally saying the good news of peace. That's what he's saying here. And what is the good news of peace? I mean, it, what I mean to say, really, this, focus on this piece of armor, the word of gospel, the word peace. Because what, what peace is he talking about? Is he talking about nonviolence? Or is he speaking about war prevention? Getting along with, is that what he means by peace here? No, the peace that he's talking about, the peace that he wants you to remember to ward off the lies of the devil is the peace that you and I now have with God. We are no longer at odds with God. That's good news. That's the good news. We are at peace with God. We're no longer enemies of God and nothing will ever, ever change that. We've been reconciled with the Father and that means because we're reconciled, he is not mad at you. He is not punishing you. 
He is not making you feel the sting of your sin. Yes, when we, again, we deal with the effects of it, but even that is a means of growth, not because he's mad at you, not because he's upset with you. Uh, Romans 5.1 tells us, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justification, that's that legal declaration that says you are Christ now and nothing will ever change that. It's a declaration. You're justified by faith, by, by, by belief in that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because we've been justified. We're no longer at odds. And it's a coincidence. I don't think it is that Paul makes a footwear reference here. I have a feeling he had his mind on Isaiah 52, 7, which says what? Do you remember this one? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness. Now, in the, in the context of what Paul might have been thinking about in, in, uh, in this, this imagery, back then that would publish good news that suddenly declare hey the war is over you know how they would spread that news it was literally a guy running from uh from city to city telling people of good news and yes he'd have to be sure-footed he'd have to have the 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 stability of his feet his footwear all right but this is this is what he's the trying to draw upon literally running down it's over we're at peace the good news of peace is this. We're no longer enemies of God. We're at peace and we've been drawn near. Do you understand what I mean by peace now? This is a lot. A lot of pieces of armor here that we've got to cycle through to, to get through. But do you understand what I mean by peace? It doesn't just, it's not just the peaceful, easy feeling that the eagles sing about, right? Which is a great song, by the way. It's being at peace with God. You have peace with God. You're at peace with God. He's not mad at you anymore. No more. No more wrath. That wrath was put upon Jesus, okay? Got that? Makes sense? Any other comments, thoughts, questions about peace? Yes, uh-huh. Uh, um, Here you go. When we, when we say that uh, Jesus is the judge, uh-huh. we are free of the judgment. Good question. So one day, yes, every one of us will face the judge, okay? Will we have to give an account for things that we've done in the past? They, they might certainly be put on display. It's not like Jesus doesn't uh, forget about those things, but guess what? In that moment, you say, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it seem like, okay, this is actually going to, how it's going to play out in a courtroom scene. But again, despite the things that we the, the shameful things that we've done, the sin that we, we've not, uh, uh, that we've engaged in, we still are able to point to the righteousness of Christ. And it's just as if we tell the Lord, don't judge me on that basis, because we can't hide our sin from him. He, no, he sees it. But when it speaks of casting your sin further than the east is from the west, that's because we are now relying on the righteousness of Christ. Okay, so yes, we will all stand before the judgment of God, but we rely on the judgment of Christ not the judgment of, of, uh, of our own self-righteousness. So again, it's not that the Lord suddenly goes, oh, I, I can't even seem to remember. No, that it's, that's a little oversimplifying it. But again, when he says he doesn't remember our sin, it's because we defer to the righteousness of Christ. And that's as, as if uh, he's forgotten it, you know, because it's not, held in, uh, 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 it's not held against us in that regard. Does that make sense? Anyone else before we move on? peace. All right. Shield of faith. Uh, oh, I was going to how to put a picture in here. So if you've ever been to my office, uh, I have a, um, a Captain America shield 
in my office uh, because I am a part-time superhero. And, uh, no. It actually belongs to my son. And he said, Dad, do you want to put this in your office? I was like, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. And so I, I, I hang it up. So when you think of the shield of faith, I think the tendency to think it's more like of a Captain America kind of a shield, like a disc, right? A circular disc. But when you read about the shield of faith, it, it wasn't quite that small, what Paul is not just a disc. It was a long part of your body. And when dipped in water, water absorb flaming arrows it can even extinguish arrows so here the burning arrows depict every and any kind of attack launched by the devil and his hosts against uh, uh, the people of God but these flaming arrows can't hurt those who trust in the Lord because remember what the emphasis of Ephesians is it's not a letter about how our strength is good and and how you can you know grab yourself by the bootstraps right it's about right? His might, his strength, his abilities. He kept the law on our behalf. That which enables to extinguish any kind of flaming darts that are holding us. It's because of who he is, not because of who we are. That's what faith is. It's what we were just talking about. It's not that it's my righteousness. I'm going to be judged based on the righteousness of Christ. And because I believe that, this is what the shield of faith is. Okay, that's what the shield is. It's why Paul, Paul told us earlier uh, in Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that, even your faith is not your own doing, right? It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. If you believe that, that's what faith is, you have nothing to fear because your, your future is set and sealed. Now, there are a number of references Paul could have used from the Old Testament, but Proverbs 35 30 verse 5 every word of God proves true he is a shield to those who take refuge in him when the devil lies and reminds you of how often you fail to keep the law remind him of the one who kept the law on your behalf and by faith your faith is the vehicle that brings you the grace of God make sense I don't want you to think that I don't want you to start thinking of faith as an action that you do. Faith is, is, uh, is almost, it's like I said, it's the vehicle that, that, that gets us there. Faith is the thing that recognizes that I have no ability on my own. It's not my ability. Faith is almost the recognition of I have need. I have nothing. I have nothing but need to offer. Therefore, I have to rely on someone else's righteousness. And because you believe that that transaction works, that's what faith is. Make sense? Yeah? Karen, you had this look on your face like you saw a wasp. I'm just kidding. Okay. It's interesting because I think about the breastplate, I feel, is symbolic of is your heart in the right place. Protective of the heart, your breastplate protective. Uh -huh. Sure, okay. Oh, interesting, okay. Yeah, and again, you have to realize that, yeah, Paul is making connections here, and he's trying to draw a visual image, and there's a lot of context for how things transpired in battle. So I think there's, yeah, there's a couple of different ways you could, uh, you could look, at, uh, look at that. But that, yeah, that's a great, uh, uh, a great uh, visual image there. 
Um, last one of this group. This is the last one of this group. The helmet of salvation. Okay? Helmet of salvation. Uh, interesting that it protects the head, that he uses salvation to protect the head. Uh, what needs to be in our head? The knowledge and assurance of salvation. Okay? The text of this letter is to assure our hearts of our union with Christ, that we are already seated with him and we are so secure, we hold on, we, we, we hold on strong ground. Uh, we hold the strong ground, is what I mean to say. When we start to fall victim to Satan's lies, when he sings just the right note to that vulnerable string in our heart, that's a good time to sing the song that reminds us that says this, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Sometimes what I'm trying to say here is this head knowledge has to inform the heart. Because if you go based on what you're feeling in any given moment, it, our feelings change all the time. Okay, our feelings change all the time. This is knowledge and it's protection for your head. Your salvation is his work from beginning to end and you can't fall off the wagon. That's what you can intellectually sear upon your brain, okay? You can't blow it enough that you lose membership. Your salvation isn't dependent upon your feelings, okay? How you feel in every, any given moment. Your feelings change all the time, but the knowledge of salvation tells you not to trust your feelings. The Bible tells us the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Instead, remember the knowledge of who you are regardless of how you feel in the moment, okay? Your salvation is secure, so don't fall victim to Satan's lies that try to convince you that you're, it's your responsibility to hold up your salvation. Your salvation lies with Christ. He who began that good work in you will bring it to completion, okay? Uh, again, here's another maybe strange coincidence, right? Isaiah 59, 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. So again, he's pulling all these things from, he's not just coming up with these things on the fly, he's pulling from the Old Testament. A lot of people say that I bet Paul's favorite book was the book of Isaiah, because there's so many references all through his writing from the book of Isaiah. Um, so, so that, at least in my mind, is another grouping. And you'll notice that all those pieces of armor that we've just detailed are sort of defensive mechanisms, okay? Defensive mechanisms. Um, these are the things that you recall that perhaps you know to be true, but haven't permeated into the core of your being. This is what we hold up to defend ourselves for the lies that he hurls at us. That's defense. So how do we go on the offense? How do we play offense? Any guesses? There are two more pieces of armor to cover here. Here's the offense. Okay, we can group these together the sword of the spirit, and praying at all times, word and prayer. This is, how we, this is how we play offense. This is how we go on the offense. Truth is the foundation, learning to put your word into your heart and head and create new instincts. These other pieces of armor are the privileges you have in Christ to remind yourself of who you are, meditating upon, using your heart to deal with these lies. But how do you do those things? Practically speaking, it says in verse 17, it tells us exactly how to do it. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This uh, is the Bible itself, and accompanying that with praying in the Spirit, Bible and prayer. You can't get more basic than this. This is really very basic, right? There are really only a couple ways we can actually spend time with God. If you want to spend time with God, 
there are, you can go to his word, uh, you can spend time in prayer, and also depending on, you know, the, your circumstances, spending time with his people, the body of Christ. That's it. That's how you spend time with God. But first and foremost, Paul is emphasizing word and prayer. Steps one and one A. One A and one B, right? The word and prayer. These are weapons of offense. Uh, the others were given uh, weapons of, this is, this is our offense. That's how we attack. Do you remember the account when, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil? What was his primary means of striking back? Scripture, every single time. Scripture, scripture, every, it is written, it is written, it is written. And each instance, what was Satan's reply to what was written? He had no reply. He moved on to the next thing, answered with scripture. Moved on to the next thing, answered with scripture. He had no reply. Twice, uh, it was on to the next temptation. And the third time, he went away. He went away. He was blown back. The sword is not a mechanism of defense offense, in advancing, right, in growing. And prayer goes hand in hand with it. Uh, as you read the word, and yes, as you're filled with his truth and dialogue between uh, you and the Father is open, there's nothing else like this, all right? And nothing else can, can, can serve as a substitute for this. The word of God and speech back to him through prayer, this is a must for fighting off the noise that the devil tries to pollute your hearts with. Word and prayer. I mean, I wish, I wish there was another, oh, guess what? I've got a new answer. No, it's the same thing every time. Word and prayer. Word and prayer. And if you're not doing the word and prayer, uh, I, I really don't have another answer. Okay, remember this. We talked about this verse a second ago. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Talking about this as a means of permeating into your heart, admonishing one another. Now, as we admonish one another in all wisdom, singing, we're going on the offense, singing psalms and hymns, reminding one another uh, what it is that we have indwelling in us with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, so, so you see what this is saying. Let it dwell in you richly. This is beyond head knowledge. It's the permeating of your inner being to your very core. And what's interesting about this is that it's not only a call for the word to indwell you, but it speaks of teaching and admonishing to one another. We do this to one another here. What this means is that, yes, you do this to a certain extent on your own, but not only on your own. We get together and we do this as a community. We do this together as the body of Christ, word and prayer together. We are the body of Christ, and that's what uh, communion and baptism are, They're the word and pictures, and we can only do that together. We can only do that in the context of the church. Any other thoughts about any of the pieces of armor of God? That was a quick overview of, I didn't, I didn't think I would have to rush through that fast, but again, I'm thinking, I got to get back to the sanctuary. But uh, any other thoughts on any of the armor, pieces of, of God's armor? Anything you want to offer? That's, like I said, quick overview. You think you have a better understanding of it? The one thing that I could leave you with, again, is the foundational element of understanding how to implement God's armor is the basic understanding that it's Christ's righteousness. We stand in Christ, Christ's righteousness, not our own. This is not our own doing. We still operate under the authority, the power, uh, and the strength of Christ our Savior. Okay, one final note to end on, uh, and it comes right from the apostle himself. He signed off his letter to the Ephesians with this, this blessing he gives them is the blessing that I would give you too. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love 
incorruptible. Remember that. It is in, incorruptible, not because of who you are, not because of what you do, but because of Christ. It's his love that's incorruptible. And it's through his love that we defeat our enemy's scheme. So go defeat them, okay? Armed with Christ himself. Any other thoughts, final comments, anything at all? Yes. Yeah, say it again. Say that again. I just think it's really beautiful that the offense is to draw near to God. Yeah. It, what, what a picture that is. Uh, the, uh, yeah, our offensive scheme is to draw near to Christ. And drawing near to Christ is in itself an offense, an offensive tactic. So again, it's reminding us. He is the Word incarnate. So drawing ourselves near to the Word is drawing yourself near to Christ. That's beautiful. Thank you. Someone else? Thought? Comment? Question? All right, I think we survived the wasp attack. That was a wonderful visual to go along with uh, the attacks of the enemy. Let me close this in prayer and then uh, uh, we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you once again uh, for the wonder of your word. Help us to remember these things. Uh, help us not just to, to have them serve as head knowledge, but also let them sink down to our heart. And Father, when we have those moments where we, we seem to... Uh, um, be over-reliant upon our heart and what our heart is telling us. Help us to remember what's in our head. Help us to remember all these things uh, because of who you are, because of what you've done, not because of, of, uh, of our own strength. Again, we thank you. I thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's his name that we pray. Amen. Go in God's peace.